From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today, we continue this series of studies in Paul's Epistle to the Romans, messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Dr. Cairns will be with us in just a few minutes. First, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought taken from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text is found in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. With his stripes we are healed. Pilate delivered our Lord to the lictors to be scourged. The Roman scourge was a most dreadful instrument of torture. It was made of the sinews of oxen, and sharp bones were intertwisted every here and there among the sinews, so that every time the lash came down, these pieces of bone inflicted fearful lacerations, and tore off the flesh from the bone. The Savior was, no doubt, bound to the column, and thus beaten. He had been beaten before, but this of the Roman lictors was probably the most severe of his flagellations. My soul stand here and weep over his poor stricken body. Believer in Jesus, can you gaze upon him without tears as he stands before you, the mirror of agonizing love? He is at once fair as the lily for innocence and red as the rose with the crimson of his own blood. As we feel the sure and blessed healing which his stripes have wrought in us, does not our heart melt at once with love and grief? If ever we have loved our Lord Jesus, surely we must feel that affection glowing now within our bosoms. See how the patient Jesus stands, insulted in his lowest case, Sinners have bound the Almighty's hands and spit in their Creator's face. With thorns his temples gored and gashed send streams of blood from every part. His backs with knotted scourges lashed, but sharper scourges tear his heart. We would fain go to our chambers and weep, but since our business calls us away, We will first pray our beloved to print the image of his bleeding self upon the tablets of our hearts all the day. And at nightfall, we will return to commune with him and sorrow that our sin should have cost him so dear. I stood one day at Calvary where Jesus fled and died. I Screw. 
If your Bible reading is usually in the authorized or King James Version, you have probably encountered words that are quite unfamiliar. Because the authorized version was translated in the 17th century, some of its words are no longer in use or perhaps have a different meaning now. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a booklet containing many of those archaic terms and their meaning in modern-day speech. In addition, the booklet contains a Bible reading plan that will help you to read the whole Bible through in two years, as well as the Psalms and the New Testament twice. To obtain your copy of A Bible Word List free of charge, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of A Bible Word List, and we'll be happy to provide it. 
On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns continues a message entitled, Total Depravity, taking his text from Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, in which the Apostle Paul shows how a person may know that he truly belongs to Christ, that he has really been born again. First of all, we see that salvation is the work of the triune God. The text contains references to all three persons of the Holy Trinity, and each has a role in the salvation of a soul. Now, Dr. Cairns will continue this message called Total Transformation. We looked at total depravity and total inability. Now we come to the story of grace, which is the story of total transformation. You are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. I want to make some very simple but far-reaching remarks on these words of the Apostle. First and foremost, we should start at the beginning and notice that salvation is the work of the triune God. You have here a reference to the working of the Holy Trinity in the salvation of sinners. Notice the words in verse 9, you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. There's a triple reference to the Spirit here. The Spirit. Then in the next word or two, he's the Spirit of God. And then at the end of the text, it's the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. Now the reference here is to the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul has already been expounding the obedience of the Son. For example, in chapter 5, he spends some time showing how it is the obedience of Christ, the obedience of God's Son, that is imputed to us to constitute us righteous and acceptable in God's sight. Earlier in this chapter, verses 3 and 4, he has mentioned the commission of the Father. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So he has spoken of the work of the Son. He has spoken of the commission of the Father. And now he deals with the particular ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting as you go down the rest of this chapter, you will see that there is quite an emphasis on the person and upon the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. It is a divine person that Paul is speaking about here. And I emphasize that because you see there are people, mostly liberals, who come to a passage like this and they pervert it completely to present people with a gospel that is not a gospel, but is a message of destruction. And what they say is, that Paul is saying, if you're going to be saved, uh, you have got to have the Spirit of Christ. You know, the idea is not of a Holy Spirit there. They're saying, you've got to have the mind of Christ. You've got to have the disposition of Christ. You've got to have the attitude of Christ. So, when you have the, the spirit of an American, the spirit of a warrior, doesn't say you're indwelt, by some 
outside person or force. No, it says you display the characteristics of that one. And according to many liberals, this is what Paul is saying. And so what they are telling you is, if you're going to be justified and free from condemnation, and you're going to be blessed with salvation, you do so by emulating the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Which, to put it in different words, is salvation by works. Salvation by Christ's example. There's no expiation of guilt. There's no satisfaction of divine justice. There's no sacrifice to put away sin. There's no mediatorial work of Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. According to this liberal notion, you emulate the characteristics of Christ and you gain salvation. That's the farthest thing from what Paul is teaching here in the book of Romans. That is a cursed perversion of his message. It's something that he would utterly have abominated. What the apostle is setting before us here is not the spirit in the sense of the characteristics or attitude, but the personal Holy Spirit of God. He is the Spirit. That's the reference to his own person in the Trinity. He's the Spirit of God who has been identified in verse 3 as the Father. He is the Spirit of Christ who is the Son. We have this divine work, salvation, a work of the triune God. We read tonight in Romans in John chapter 14, the great passage concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit, where the Lord Jesus promised in chapter 14, verse 16, that he would pray the Father, and the Father would send another comforter in the place of Christ, a person in the place of a person. In uh, verse 17, he's called the Spirit of Truth. Notice the world cannot receive him. There's again the inability of sinners. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit for two reasons. Number one, they can't see him. But even more so, they don't know him. And he goes on to say in verse 17, But you know him. You can't see him either. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In verse 26, the Lord Jesus speaks of the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name. We read in chapter 16, and in verse 7, Jesus said, It's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So here you have this wonderful reference to the working of the Holy Trinity. Let me get off on a tangent here just for a moment. These are texts that have to do with the Trinity working in what's called the economy of salvation or redemption. This is the Trinity working uh, the redemption of sinners. These words have been used, that the Spirit proceedeth from the Father. They have been used in a much deeper and wider theological context. 
And uh, the exposition of them was the cause, or at least it was the stated cause. Historically, there were many, many other things leading up to this. For the first great schism in the unified church, the Greek church split from the Latin church, the Eastern from the European. And it was on the procession of the Spirit. There had been for centuries this argument between them. It came to be accepted as orthodoxy in the Latin church. The Protestant churches have followed the Latin church in this, that the Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. Whereas the Greek church said, no, he proceeds from the Father. To be quite honest, I believe that there is much to be gained by emphasizing the distinct personality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within the unity of the Godhead. And what distinguishes the Father is paternity, the Son is what's called filiation, and the Spirit is procession. I think there's great deal to begin by keeping those things clearly in mind. But I'm always a little leery when theologians think they can be wiser than man can be. They start telling us uh, things and defining in very, very definite terms things that cannot possibly be understood. There is a unity in the divine essence, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Three persons in one indivisible divine essence. We believe that because the Bible teaches that, not because we can explain it. And I think when theologians are willing to divide churches over a dogma of the procession of the Spirit and what it means when they haven't a clue in the world what it means, I think is more than a little sad. That he does proceed. Let's admit that and say, the Bible teaches that. We can take that what happens in salvation is in some way a reflection of what is eternally and essentially true in the Godhead. Let's believe that. But let's not try defining the indefinable. I could go on when it comes into these intra-Trinitarian relationships. But if you want more of that, you'll have to come to GRS. We're not going to be doing it tonight. Here, when the Scriptures are teaching that the Spirit is sent and the Spirit proceeds, it is in the economy of salvation. It's the Father and the Son sending the Holy Spirit to apply the work of Jesus Christ savingly to men and women around the world. The Trinity is active for our salvation. Now, that is a wonderful thought. I want you to stop and let it sink in. How hard must the work of salvation be when it has to be the work of the Holy Trinity? How hard a work, how difficult a work. Go back to verses 5 through 8. Look at the picture they paint. And you'll see, they that are in Adam, they that are out of Christ, they who are in the state of nature, they can never please God. 
can't be done. The carnal mind can never be reduced to subjection to the mind and the will and the law of God. That's an absolute statement of truth. Now when you look at that black picture of humanity, those verses seem to leave men utterly hopeless. And unless God intervenes, the situation is hopeless. That's the teaching of Scripture. This is where every man-made religion in the world goes wrong. This is where every false dogma of salvation goes wrong. They all combine with all their different gods and idols and theories and dogmas. They all combine in one pernicious lie that somehow, some way, men can do something to ameliorate their spiritual state and ultimately, ultimately gain some sort of salvation. That's the dogma of the religion of devils. But the truth of God's word is you look at the state of man and it's so black and dark, it's absolutely hopeless. Sinners are not sick, simply. They're dead. Dead in trespasses and in sin. Sinners are not just mostly evil or balanced between good and evil. Toward God, they are utterly, completely, and irreversibly depraved. And that corruption touches every part of their being. And especially, it's corrupted the will. So look at the state of sinners. Read Ephesians 2 again. Dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now energizing in the children of disobedience. It's a bleak and black and terrible picture. And if there were no but God, there would be no gospel story. How hard is the work of salvation? It's a work that cannot be done by sinners for themselves. It's a work that cannot be done by the church for sinners. I get sick looking at dressed up clowns. They're better off in a circus than a church with their copes and their mitres and their sprinkling holy water and they're shaking uh, some incense around the place and they tell the people they're conveying grace and their lies, they're conveying nothing. Nothing. Salvation is a hard and difficult work. It cannot be accomplished by the energy of man, whether in the church or out of the church. It is not conveyed by the hands of a pope, a priest, a bishop, or a pastor. It's not self-generated. It's not church-generated. It's not sacrament-generated. It is the work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It is a difficult thing. Only the wisdom of God could devise the plan of salvation. Only the power of God could effect the plan. 
Only the resources of God were great enough to pay the price. It's a divine work. How hard must be the work of salvation. Woe be to the man then who imagines that he will save himself. Woe be to the poor fool who is going through life deluded and saying, when I get to the pearly gates, I'm going to say this to God, and I'm going to say something else to God. Poor fools, the Bible tells me, when they stand before God, they were speechless. Salvation is so difficult, only God can do it. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 